Welcome to the Angel Investors Network podcast, the first national angel group founded online in 1997, dedicated to perpetuating free enterprise, capitalism, and supporting the American dream. In addition, Angel Investors Network is the organization behind the powerful Mastermind Investment Club, dedicated to harnessing the philosophy of a mastermind to increase success with their investment portfolio. Laura Rubenstein is a social media and marketing strategist and founder of the Social Buzz Club. On the podcast, Laura brings together successful entrepreneurs to share with you how they grow their business, and you can too. And now, here's your host, Laura Rubenstein. Welcome back, everyone, to the Angel Investors Network podcast. I'm Laura Rubenstein, your digital media marketing strategist. I am very excited today because we have a special guest with us uh, who is going to help you move your startup business to the next level. So I'd like to welcome Christine Bottegaro. Hi, Christine. Hi. Hi, Laura. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're here. And just a little bit about Christine. Christine does high-tech software marketing for pre- and post-IPO and private equity-funded companies, and most recently served as the CMO at Rogue Wave Software. So I would like to back up a whole bit and ask, Mm how did you get started? Where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? (laughs) Hopefully you've got a lot of time here, Laura, because that's a long story. No, I grew up in Washington, D.C., and decided that uh, after a trip out west to Wyoming, that the West was for me. So I went to the University of Colorado a couple of times and then ended up in high tech just kind of as a fluke. So I applied for a job in professional services and high tech and then I just fell in love. And Boulder is a nice little hotbed of a lot of high tech, a lot of startups, smaller companies. Um, And being around really smart people doing really cool things and the extensive learning and ability to learn is really what's kept me there. So After uh, my first start into that, I went to Sybase and spent a decade there. Oh, my gosh. And then Sybase was acquired by SAP. Spent about 18 months there and then went to Rally Software, which is an agile ALM tool startup here in in, uh, Boulder, and then went to Rogue Wave Software. And I just left there to take a little bit of a breather and get some time off. And now here visiting with you. I love it. Thank you for being here. And so you're in marketing, you've done, you've seen these companies grow. What do you like most about the work you do? What really lights me up, Laura, and thanks for asking that, because I don't get to talk about this very much, but um, is the ability to take very, very complex things, technology problems that we help solve, and then translate that into market-facing messages. So just sort of acting as an interpreter for bits and bytes into the use cases, how customers use the software, software, what the outcomes can be, how they're helping to solve very complex problems as well. So that to me is, is always really interesting. There's so much learning. I get smarter every day, and I feel like my gift is to be able to kind of simplify that and put it in a way that people can grasp. I have to to translate what I do to my family, who are a bunch of lawyers and academics and all these uh, people that don't play in software. So that forces me to be really honest about, do I know it enough to be able to explain it simply? And that honestly is the, the most fun part of it is understanding more and then simplifying that to the market. It's a gift and it's a great service too, as well. And since you are a expert problem solver and person who can simplify things. I was wondering if you could share with us some of the common mistakes you see that other software Mm. companies make and how you would solve them. Yeah. 
Um, I think sometimes you can get all caught up in your own, you know, you hear the drink your Kool-Aid, right? But you can get caught up in the coolness of your solution and, and really forget to to address what it's like for the customer. Are you truly meeting their needs in a, in a unique way? And if you're not, you got to go back to the drawing board. We all have great ideas. Do they all monetize? Do they all um, result in success and growth? That remains to be seen. But oftentimes people just get caught up in the idea and the cool tech uh, for cool tech's sake versus saying, what does this really mean in the markets? Are, are we meeting a gap, a need that's there currently? Are we going to build that need, right? Because it doesn't have to currently exist. Um, and, and really just kind of take a step back and be objective about it and take the passion out of it, which is amazing. I love a passionate startup, but really just kind of put that hat on of saying, is this really something that is worth investing in, in both time and resource? I want to dive deeper into something you just said, which was, if there isn't a need, are we going to create a need? Have you mm -hmm. seen a company do that? And if so, how did they do that? Yeah, I, you know, I, I wish I had the magic sauce on that, but I think it's about educating on a need that you didn't know you had. For example, I love to use the iPhone one, right? Like who doesn't have one of those? And if you don't, good, that's great. But before they came along, my flip phone was just fine. I could talk to my mom, I could call into work. And then all of a sudden you give me all this capability and I can't get enough of it, right? What do I have in my fingertips? So that's to me the purest and I think most um, understandable example of building a need that we didn't know was there. It was an unmet need that you have to educate on. Well, of course you have games on there. Of course you have apps. Of course you have all these things that now, like people scroll through four or five screens to cover all the apps they have on their iPhone or whatever their smartphone is. Mm -hmm. But developing that need for a smartphone, it created a new category, right? And then other people came to meet that need. So that to me is, I think, the simplest example. There are others, but, uh, you know, I didn't know I needed it until you told me I did. And now I can't live without it. Yeah. Because there was a hidden need that was being fulfilled or, or hidden, something that made life somewhat easier in some way, it sounds like. So mm -hmm. it's there, but it's yeah. not really there. <laughs> it's like, I, I it's want- It's not exposed. It's not, I was just going to say, oftentimes it's not articulated, Laura, right? Like I'm not, you know what I really wish? I wish I had a heavy glass thing that I would carry around all the day with all this stuff on it. You'd be like, why would I want that? That's crazy, right? My flip phone's tiny. It's easy. I put it in my front pocket. I'm good to go. So you do have to educate on that, but there is an unmet need that you can fulfill. Yeah. And, you know, I really like I have, there's going to be some unmet need here in like this, the, all the Amazon boxes that come. Somebody's got it. There's a need here. Cause I, I'm like, I feel so wasteful. There's a need there. Like, I don't want to yes. feel wasteful. What, what can be invented? Right. right? right. So I'm looking forward yep. to, to the person who fills that category gap. <laughs> Exactly. That we're right. all going to want to yeah. pay for, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's worth it. Or that the manufacturer, you know, kind of says, I'm going to pass along the cost and we all take a part of it so that it's not waste, right? Okay, right. I'll pay a little bit more so that it's not in a landfill. That's worth it to me. Exactly. So um, what is some along the way, you've had so many great experiences. Uh, what is some of the best advice you've received? Mm. Um, I think it's really about the team. And I look back at my growth and the mentors that I have. And yes, you know, they're skill-based. You have to understand. Okay, let me back up. There, there are some things that absolutely 
completely are immutable. You have to understand your customer. You have to understand the technology. You have to understand how it meets the market. But the things that people don't tell you are what it's like to manage a team and um, what it's like to carry responsibility for that. Um, you know, as a CMO, you're on the hook for everything that your team does and doesn't do. So you find that you're in a different level of decision making, whereas I would say a lot of times there's mentorship and there's guidance. And what, what ends up happening is maybe you can bring along people that have some value, but they're maybe underperforming. And that's okay. But at some point, when, when the CEO is staring at you and saying, well, how come you're underperforming in this area? It's on you. And you have to make those hard decisions. And so I think, you know, one of my bosses is like, you've got to cut it and you've got to cut it quick, whether it's a bad program, whether it's an employee that's underperforming. And, and you know what? They may be better off in a different role. Let's figure that out. Um, but, but really understand the buck has to stop with you. That's a hard lesson to learn. And nobody kind of prepared me for what that was until I hit that wall. And I was like, oh, wow, it's just me on the hook here. So what does that look like? How do I make decisions in a, in a balanced way, of course, but still understanding that there's no buck to pass uphill? So did it change the way you made decisions? It sounds like it, it, it did. Um, it put a different light on it. Whereas before I was the coach, I was the mentor. I can, I can bring along underperforming employees. I can find the value in people. And at some point the clock starts tipping, ticking and you have to make harder decisions, maybe faster. Um, and, but that's my own personal experience. I don't know how applicable that is. I think, you know, the, the learning, the team building, the transparency, all of that comes with every role is to be able to say, this is mine, I own it, and everyone's a part of it. Um, and what does that look like in terms of all your decision making? So what advice would you give to someone who kind of got themselves stuck in that position, didn't realize they were (laughs) responsible and, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. the buck does stop with me? Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. I think you have to have a lot of confidence in what you think is the right thing to do um, and transparency with not only if it's a person or a program and say, hey, look, you know, we thought these would be the outcomes. Let's look at program. Um, We thought these would be the outcomes and it didn't meet those and that is something we're going to pivot away from. So in the next three months, we're going to be rebuilding. We're going to be reinvesting. We're going to be de-investing, whatever that is. But I I really think that transparency across all your stakeholders, and that's peer level, that's boss level, that's your team saying, hey, you know what? We're all learning from this. What's the pivot look like? How long is it going to take? And what are the repercussions? Um, And you've got to own it. And you've got to have the confidence that says, I'm okay with this, whether it's a mistake or whether it's just a change in, in the view. You have to be okay with, with owning that instead of like, oh, it's okay. It'll be fine. We'll just wait it out. You've got you to gotta kind of fail fast, as we say in the Agile world. And then make your course corrections, right? Make yep. your new decisions yep, based exactly. on what you learned. Yeah. Like, yeah. okay, that's kind of obvious. And, and at the same time, when you're in the thick of it, you don't think to do it a lot of times. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's also sunk cost, right? That whole mentality of like, well, I've already invested this amount. If I go away now, then all that investment is gone instead of saying, okay, well, I can continue to invest, which is an even crazier decision, right? So that sort of mentality is is hard to break from. <laughs> I think that's the, the tough decisions you have to make um, wisely. Not easy, not the same each time, I would imagine. Yep, yep, exactly. It's like... It's like, sorry, Laura, but it, it's like kids 
I, after one, I thought, you know, what? I got this figured out. Like the second kid, I'm, I'm just going to be able to apply all of my learning. And then the second co- kid comes and it's a whole different set of problems. You're like, what the heck? Nothing I learned applies. I got to start all over again. So it, it's the same kind of thing in, in work. <laughs> different kid, <laughs> different rules, right? <laughs> different problems. So you've seen a lot of different um, companies and worked with them in the capacities of chief marketing officer and marketing brand strategy. And yep. what did you find worked best to attract more business? Mm. Mm. Um, I think really having a very solid voice anymore, you know, you'll hear talk about content marketing. And to me, that's just marketing, right? It's a little bit redundant. But I was just thinking today about a blog post that I want to write is that marketing today is about education and education is the new selling. So nobody wants to be sold to, they want to be educated and you can educate towards your solution and tell people what matters in this. Here are the five attributes you ought to consider. And maybe you're great at four and not on the fifth, but you know, there's an educational element. And again, kind of going back to the iPhone, like you didn't know you needed this, but you certainly need it. And people, Oh, okay. But nobody wants to be sold to. So that's squarely in the camp of marketing is to be able to educate and educate uh, with some thought leadership, with taking other voices, you know, analysts, pundits, whoever's writing about it, Laura, from your perspective, right? Your, your social buzz club, what do you hear pulling all that together and saying, this is what you need to know about a subject and, and get some eyeballs to that. And then you'll naturally get people attracted to you and then hopefully drive towards a conversation where your solution is the right answer. Yeah, you know, I've always said for years and years, it's like, sell me. And what I'm asking someone to do is teach me why I yep. should and, and address yeah. every single one of my concerns and help me understand why yeah. your product solves those concerns and how. Yeah. And in the process, I'm learning. I actually call Home Depot Home Depot University, because I learned how to fix my house <laughs> by going there and ask them, telling them I have this problem, what do I use to fix it, right? And yeah. they have yeah. great employees who, you know, have done projects for years and years. Oh, you have a scratch on your table? Well, you got to take off the varnish with this, right. this paint and use that. I'm like, I got a whole education, yeah. and then I'm buying that yeah. product, right? So this is what you're talking about, that content. It's absolutely market. right. And that's to me, sell me on this because in order to sell me, and nobody wants to be, like you said, sold to, but I want to be right. educated so I can know what to buy as the, right. the right. buyer. So. Yeah. And I'm, I'm also a big challenger fan. So the challenger sale and it's a book, oh, I don't know, probably five years now, but it's really about teaching with insight. And, you know, I tell our reps, when you call, you say, hi, Laura, it's Rob with so-and-so company. I spoke to four other, you know, podcasters this morning, and this is what they said their biggest problem was. And at that point in time, you're probably going to listen, aren't you? Right? So use the knowledge that you have and share that. If somebody calls me up and says, I spoke to three other CMOs this morning, and they said X and Y, I'm all ears. Because how many in a day do I talk to? Probably zero. Right? I'm doing my work. I'm doing my thing. So again, really looking at how you can educate. It doesn't always have to be about the solution. It could be, here's what I've heard from other people. Like Laura, I'd be like, of the eight people you talk to, what's the one theme that's the most interesting to you? I want to know that answer that helps me get better. Right? So know what you know and be willing and able to share that to the people that are their peers. And there's so much value in that. You can drive audiences all day long. Exactly. And that's what we're doing this podcast for. I mean, you're one of several CMOs that we have interviewed and um, we hear different things and we hear some 
similar things are the nice thing about the similar things is that there's a consistency like to this wisdom and then the other thing mm-hmm. is the creativity and the nuances that didn't come out in one show come out in another show so i love that you're here doing this and i want to know what are some of the secrets um or types of marketing you use to grow that were your favorite i know you talked about content mm-hmm. but was there anything specific you did with that content that was like a little hack yeah, yeah, that's good. I, and I wish I had the amazing the uh, answer to it, but it's um, you You kind of have to parlay content into all the different channels anymore. The, there's so much democratization of information, right? People can consume it any way they want, whether it's Twitter or LinkedIn or um, New York Times or whatever the channel is or coming to a vendor website or analyst website, whatever. You have to be in all of those places. So there used to be this whole sort of thought that people would come to your living room, right? And listen to you. And now it's, you've got to be in all of these other living rooms with some sort of presence. Um, But what that does is give you the opportunity to take one piece of content, like a nice meaty piece that's kind of a a cornerstone, a keystone piece, and then parlay that across the eight, 12 dozens of channels. So you can take, you know, 140 characters, I think it's now 220 for Twitter and that's the the piece that you want, or there's a quote and you're going to put that on your website and then you can publish long form on the analyst. So you have to kind of think through, I always like, and I would tell my team this that said, if you're developing a piece of content, it should be one equals six. So six times I want to see that elsewhere, whether it's a webinar or a slide share or podcast or whatever it is, but that same piece, that foundational piece will serve across all. And then basically Laura, it's about a process of elimination, seeing what works where your audience goes, and then you'll be able to double down on that. Wow, they're really heavy in Twitter. I was just reading something that said a lot of developers who I used to sell to will use Twitter as a source of information. That's like their source of information. I was like, wow, I thought it was Google. Nope. So what does it look like to be there? What are you putting out there? Knowing that they're looking for information, do you give a tip of the day? Something like that. So you'll see patterns, and then how can you maximize that? Um, and there's no one size fits all, that's for sure. Analyzing the results is really key to knowing what mm-hmm. to do next so that you're mm-hmm. not just doing the rinse and repeat, you're improving. Exactly. That's really great. Exactly. Yeah, well, and I would I always tell my go-to-market folks, like, 15% of your portfolio is pure experimentation. We've never done this before. We're going to try it because what works today will not work tomorrow. So what have you got to backfill what worked today, right? Yep. Market and marketing changes let's we have to keep evolving (laughs) (laughs) you've seen a lot i'm sure of different marketing because content today is completely different than content 10 15 and 20 years ago so um, i love that we're in this content marketing marketing age (laughs) to be even more redundant there right yeah Because there's so now you have more ways to get out and be more valuable to people and they want it. They're craving that. So tell me, is there, what have I not asked you that I should? Mm. Um, I think, you know, you asked earlier about secrets to growth and I think there's not really a secret per se, but it's about really making sure that whatever marketing is doing and whatever other functions are doing really map to the goals of the company. So just having with my background in terms of large, very large pre IPO, post IPO, um, and then private equity backed, they're all different business models. And, And basically it's all just different funding, but the reality of what those landscapes are is different. So 
is it growth at all cost? Is it modicum of growth with, you know, less cost if you're EBITDA driven, right? If you're looking at um, net net spend versus high revenue growth, is it the long view? Is it we want to have a place in the marketplace? Um, is it a category definition? So what I would say is that, again, there's no like easy answer, but you have to make sure that whatever you're doing is absolutely in line with the corporate mission and the goals, because the marketing mix and what you put together as your strategy will really be different depending on what those near and, and long-term goals are. Is there a success story you can share with us um, of a campaign you've run or a growth time that you want to share from your history? Yeah, um, I think it was interesting. So when I joined Rally, it was, um, you know, I can't remember how many people, maybe 150. So pretty reasonable size past that kind of first inflection point, but looking towards IPO. And what was cool about that is they were educating on, or we were educating on an agile methodology. So agile is a way to develop software faster and more efficiently. Um, So it wasn't the product, but the product supported this methodology. So the ability to educate was super powerful at that point in time, because it wasn't just, here's a tool and you need it. It was more understand agile and how that works in your teams. And then here's the tool that supports it. So I really, what, what, shifted for me was the ability to really focus on the education. So we would do like agile cafes all over the place and they were in-person events and people would understand agile, what the, the ceremonies are, the meetings, how you run an agile development team. And then, Oh, here's a demo. So it wasn't leading with the product and that was different. Um, and I carried that with me in terms of saying, okay, let's not put the product first. Let's think through what it is people want to learn and understand and how does our product help them? So that kind of shifted the paradigm for me. It also taught me to be an agile marketer because every week we would come out with a new release, right? So agile is always developing. And every Friday it was, there's a brand new product. Okay. Well, they change one button from light green to dark green as a marketer, that doesn't give me a big launch. Like I can't go, ta-da, here's our new version. So what did I have to talk to the market about? What was interesting? And it was those small incremental things. You kind of had to batch them. You had to find another flavor to go to market with versus waiting for the big launch. Like, you know, um, Microsoft Sierra is here. You know, that's a big launch. These were small launches, incremental you still have to market, you still have to drive demand. What did that look like? So that really shifted a lot of of my thinking. And then I was able to carry that forward into subsequent roles. That's great. A great example too. Um, Mm -hmm. So what would you like to leave us with and how, what's next for you? I'd really like to know. Oh yeah. Well, that remains to be seen. Uh, I'm looking for my next adventure. I'm talking to some folks here, but it's really nice. I had a little bit of time off, which was amazing. And now I'm kind of saying, okay, what, what do I want to get involved in and what can I get excited about? And it's nice to be able to be a place where I can be a little bit like selfish in that I can get excited about my new gig. So definitely looking for that. Um, and I would say leave with that. There's, there's no wrong. Um, and there's no right in, in marketing. You just got to try a lot of different things. And, you know, hopefully your team will come with crazy ideas. We would always have a crazy idea section in our team meetings. And they were crazy. And some we executed and some we walked away from. But I would just say you always have to be moving. You always have to be trying new things. And you, you can't be complacent around the things that worked 
and, and double down on those? Absolutely. But they may not be where you can invest in, in the next six months. Things change too fast. And if people want to connect with you, where should they go? Ah, that's a good question. I'm on LinkedIn. So easy enough to find if you can spell my last name. And that's the trickiest part of the whole deal. Um, and then I've got some blog posts too. If there's anything that people are interested in or any comments, I'd, I'd love to hear it. It's, it's really helpful for me. Is that where your blog posts are on, on LinkedIn? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just put them up on LinkedIn. Okay. Yeah. So it's Christine Bottagero. Thank you yeah. so much, Christine. Um, we will, and of course, your name is printed on all of our sites and on the iTunes and, and descriptions. So I think people will have a clue and we can be in touch with you. And we'll be back with another episode of the Angel Investors Network podcast very soon. We'll see you on your favorite podcast app. <laughs> Bye for now. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer.